And we're going to be covering chapters 60 and 61. I was actually scheduled to to, uh, speak, uh, I guess, towards the end of the month, but things got shifted around because of Valentine's Day, and and, uh, somehow I ended up here. So so, uh, chapter 60 of Psalms, it's a a beautiful chapter. Um, it, It takes place in a time when David is in battle. He's actually... uh, fighting on the on the northern front on the northern front of of israel and um it's a little bit different from where you know i have been talking in the past it always seemed as though i used to joke that that it always seemed as though i i got david on the run you know whenever the you read about the story of uh or whatever chapter i happened to be in it was always david running either from absalom or saul or something like that and but here he is now he's king and and uh and uh things are going great Things are going great for David. He's been anointed. Um, God has uh, uh, blessed him. And right away he starts to go out and, and starts to wage war on the enemies, you know, on God's enemies. and starts to increase the land. I was looking at a map, and I wish I was more like, you know, uh, computer savvy and was able to, to get that all up maybe on the screen or something. It would have been cool because on some of these maps that I was looking at, it showed a, a map of where, of the area that Saul had conquered in the area that he reigned over and it was a relatively small area you know around jerusalem and then it showed the contrast to david's territory and man it just it just was huge man and and he, he took it all the way up to the euphrates took it all the way back down to um to uh, edom you know and then to to the west and just increased it man i mean i'm not sure if it was like doubled or tripled in size but it was just a, a huge area that that he had conquered and and so, you know, these people that he was conquering, they weren't giving it up. He was going to battle with him and uh, was pushing the borders further north and further south and, and uh, east. And, um, and he was just having success. He was having success after success. And um, it was just, I think, like, just like, a, uh, I don't know what you'd want to call it, maybe like that honeymoon period that he had as, after becoming king, uh, after being anointed king, where it's just everything was going right. You know, and and uh, all of these battles, like I said, he was having these victories. Um, if you want to read the the backstory, I wanted to kind of touch on it a little bit in Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. Before we actually really get started in in uh, chapter sixty of Psalms, this is just to give you an idea of where David was at, and just kind of like in, that he was in that mindset, man, of just uh, being on that cloud nine with God. And just being in that presence of God and knowing that he has God's promises. Uh, we're going to read from Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 18. We're going to read down to 29. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come is this the matter of man O lord god now what more can david say to you for you lord god know your servant for your word's sake and according to your own heart you have done all these great things to make your servant know them therefore you are great O lord god 
For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard from our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people, whom did you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nation, uh, from Egypt, the nations and their gods? For you have made your people, Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God of over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have, redeemed, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. David was just on this cloud nine, man, where he was just, um, like I say, receiving from the Lord just all that God had promised him, man. And he's saying, you know, that, that um, you know, Lord, like, we got this special connection, man. You know, you made me king. And, um, you know, kind of he's kind of at awe in it, you know. And he's saying, you know, Lord, I don't know why you're doing it. You know, I don't know. I don't deserve it. He's, you know, that's coming across. But he's saying, but you have, you know. And, and he's recognizing it. And, uh, and he's thanking God for it. You know, and I love the way David talks to God. You know, he says, you know, basically says that you promised these things, you know. I'm not asking for them, but, but you've given them to me, you know. Um, continues calling Lord God. I mean, I, uh, that just kept jumping out at me, too, was the fact that he just honored him so much. You know, he was in reverence to God. Um, verse 23 says, And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth, whom God went to redeem for himself to make himself a name? You know, he kind of gets off of himself and he goes on to his people, right? And he's saying, you know, like, who are we? You know, what, like, what makes us so special? And, you know, and I love that about, about what David is saying there because, you know, he's humbly, he's humbly I guess, he's being humble, I guess. <laughs> How do you say it? But he, he's being humble and going before the Lord and he's just saying, um, you know, like, we're nothing. You know, we're nothing. But, but you've chosen us, you know, to make... You know, to proclaim your name, you know, um, I just thought that that was that was so cool uh, because I just saw I just saw a correlation between that and us. You know, who are we? You know, who are we that God, you know, would look down at us and say, man, I choose you. You know, I want to change your life, you know, and that is awesome, man. I mean, that is awesome to know that we serve a God that loves us so much that he says, you know what? Um, 
I want your life to be changed. Now, we have, a, we have a responsibility in that. We have to choose God, you know. But that door just has to open up just that little bit, and God comes in, that love that God has for us, you know. Um, you know, I'm not smart enough to know all that theology of, you know, once saved, always saved, and, you know, predestination and all that other stuff. All I know this, all I know is this, is that, you know what? Yeah, I chose God. I made that decision when that, when that decision was put in front of me, man. Was do you want to accept that love that God has? And I said, yeah. And you know what? And that was at the point where God took over. And he said, okay, you know what? I'll take it from here, you know? And, and then it becomes a relationship, and I can't take any credit for it. None of us can, you know? It's all what God does, you know? And I just thought that that was so cool that, that David here is even talking about the people of Israel saying, you know what, who are we? You know, I love the, I love the way that, that Manny puts it. Um, he says that, you know, that God doesn't need us. He says, but he referred to it like trophies. You know, he says, you know, we're like God's trophies. You know, he says he gets us, man, and he shines us up and he holds us up so that other people can see, you know, what, what he can do. You know, and he says, man, this is like my prize, you know. I mean, and that's just, it, it blows my mind. You know, in First uh, Corinthians one twenty-seven, it says, you know, that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, you know. And, uh, and that's kind of like the gist of what David is saying there. He's saying, man, you know what, we're a people, you know, I'm a nobody, we're a nobody, but God, you've chosen us. Now, you've given us these promises and what I love about David is he holds God's to his promises, you know. I mean, and that's bold. But, it, but he does it. He does it confidently, man, going to his father. And we're going to read a little bit more about that later. So God was giving David these victories and uh, you know, over all of these nations that surrounded them. Um, he was giving them, the, by this time he had already conquered the Philistines, Moab, Zobah, uh, Syria, um, Hamath, uh, and after each victory, uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing I was going to, but it's a lot of reading, and I'm going to jack up all those names. But uh, but after each victory, the Lord would, or the, the Bible says, the Lord preserved David wherever he went. You know, it was like, man, he would go to this battle, and he would win. And then, he, you know, it was like, and, and God preserved him, man. God kept him safe, you know. And then he sent him over to this place to fight, you know, and it said, God preserved him. And he would go over to this battle and God preserved him. And it's just God's hand was on him. Although, you know, every step of the way. So by this time, David was feeling pretty good about himself, I think. You know, he was feeling pretty confident. Um, and like I said, he was, he was, where chapter 60 comes back into play, if you want to turn back over there, um, Psalm chapter 60. Where this begins is in one of these battles. David has, has now... Uh, he's pushing that northern border further out, and he's in battle against uh, Syria and the, uh, well, who else was it? I forget. The uh, uh, Mesopotamia. <laughs> Mesopotamia. And so he has these two battles going on, and he has a, a general of his armies named Joab, and they're both in battle, and uh, they seem to be winning because they eventually do conquer them. Um, but they're in the, the heat of this battle and David gets word that the southern border gets invaded. He gets word that, that, uh, that the Edomites have invaded 
and they're coming through the southern border, and they've actually pushed their way all the way up to Jerusalem, you know, and just just uh, demolished, man, the forces that they had. Now, they had, like, just small garrisons there. They didn't have, you know, their their huge army, man, you know, their, their mighty men of valor. They were all up in the north. And so they had these small, uh, I guess, I don't know what you would call them, man, but they're basically just, like, maybe, uh, you know, security guys. I mean, it wasn't, like, a huge army, but... Uh, but, you know, that was that's what was was protecting the southern border. And they just came right through them. You know, they just came right through them and pushed through and probably killing, you know, a lot of, you know, men, women and children. And we're just decimating them. And that's where we get into chapter 60. And this is where he writes chapter 60. We want to start there. Uh, just uh, another little note there is that this this. Uh, um, Chapter is basically broken up into three different sections. Um, one to three, chapter or verses one through three, are the lamentations of David. You know, he's just crying over the situation. Um, the second part is verses six through eight. It's the expectation of David. David changes into, okay, God, now this is kind of like what I need you to do. And then verses nine through twelve is the supplications of David. So let's go on and read verses 1 through 3. It says, O oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. O oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. Like I said, the, the borders have been decimated. The, uh, the news had gotten back to them that, uh, you know, uh, southern Israel was, was basically, you know, the Edomites, you know. And um, David, at this point, he dispatches Joab to, uh, to head down with an army to go and, and fight, you know, the, uh, the Edomites and, and uh, protect what was left of Israel there. And uh, David, you know, he's saying here that, you know, God, um, he's saying, man, did you cast us off? Everything was going so good, you know. I mean, we we're having success after success, you know. And, and um, you know, what happened? Where are you? You know, he says, did you cast us off? He says, um, did we somehow displease you? You know, did what did we do wrong? You know, and then he says, you know, you make us drink this wine of confusion. That kind of tripped me up a little bit. So I looked that up in some of the commentaries. And what it said was that, you know, after all of these victories, that probably people, you know, were walking around saying, what's going on? Just in total confusion, you know. They, their confidence was in the Lord. They had, they had been, you know, like I said, the success after success. And, and, uh, and so when this happened, they were, they were just totally confused by it, you know. And so... Um, David is just recognizing that. He's seen that. And he's just saying, you know, where are you, God? But then we get into David's expectation. Verses 4 through 8. He says, you have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of 
Sukkoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia, shout in triumph because of me. So right here, David makes a, a change of direction. He goes from, from what he was feeling. You know, he was feeling as though God had cast him off. He was feeling as though they had displeased God. He was feeling as though God had left him. And he goes, he turns from what he was feeling to now what he knows. You know, and he goes and the first one of the first thing he says is that you have given a banner to those who fear you. Um, you know, I, I looked up that word banner and, and looked up some cross references for it. And uh, one that I just jumped out at me was in uh, the Songs of Solomon in two four, chapter two, verse four. It says, your banner over me is love, you know. And so when David kind of says, he says, You've given a banner to those who fear you. He say, man, you've given your love to those that fear you, you know? And so, like I said, he changes directions from, man, I feel so anxious, but I know you're with me, Lord, you know? And so there's, there's an abrupt change there. In verse 6, this is God speaking. It says, God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure the valley of, of Sakath. And here God is saying, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is also the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. You know, he's saying, these, these areas that you're so worried about, you know, these areas that you're so worried about, they're mine. You know, God, God is saying, I got it covered. You know, like, you know, you're, you're worried about it. You know, I love them more than you do. You know, these are my places. These are, this is my land. And he says, Moab is my wash spot. You know, you know, I'd like the way John Corson put it. He said, basically he's saying Moab is all washed up. You know, Moab was one of the enemies of God. So was uh, Edom. Who, was, who had attacked that southern border. And he says, over Edom I will cast my shoe. You know, and looking over some of the commentaries, I guess that was a huge insult, you know, in the, in the Middle East. And uh, when I read that, I thought, oh, do you remember when uh, George Bush got, <laughs> somebody threw a shoe at George Bush? And, uh, and man, he was quick, man. He, he dodged it. And, uh, and I thought of that, man. It just made me laugh, you know. Uh, because evidently, man, God, God does the same thing, man. He shows, he throws his shoes at people. He says, over Edom, I will cast my shoe. And Philistia, who was also an enemy of God, he's telling the people of Israel, shout in triumph because of me. They're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to triumph over Philistia, over the Philistines. So I like that in verse six. David, David is basically recognizing what God has already said. He's saying, listen, man, God, I know you've already said this is your battle, you know. And, then, you know, that's so encouraging for us when we come across our battles. Because we know that the battle belongs to the Lord, right? You know, you know, greater is he that is in us, you know, than is in the world. 
right? So there's all these, there's all of these things, man, that, that, you know, they'll, they'll strike fear into us and that's normal. You know, David, same thing, you know, don't feel bad. I think when, when you, maybe you feel a little anxious, you get worried, you know, when you come up against something, man, that seems too big for you. But like David here, man, we've got to fall back on what we know, not on what we feel, you know, and that's what, and that's what David is doing here. He's saying, God, I know you've already said you got this covered. And here we go into David's supplication. Verses 9 through 12. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our, with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. You know, he's saying, okay, God, now, all right, we were afraid, right? We were scared. We were anxious because of what just happened. But we know that you got this covered. Okay, now, Lord, he's telling God, who's going to lead us? And I love the way David talks to God like that, man. I mean, um, I, I didn't know really how to put it because I don't want to sound like irreverent or anything like that. But he almost talks to God like a, kind of like a smart alley. You know, he, 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 the way he talks to God and he says, man, you know, who's he going to do? Is it going to be you, the one who cast us off? You know, and, and I don't know the way I was reading it. I was just like, wow, man. I mean, um, that kind of seems, seems like kind of wrong, you know. Um, but then I started thinking and, and. I don't know if I'm, you know, maybe going a little too far with it, but, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you guys have ever had a relationship with somebody that, uh, um, you know, you just had a, a good connection with and you could joke with them or talk to them differently than anybody else would. You know, um, I remember when I, when I used to work at a, a construction company, um, you know, I was, I was, uh, Real, real uh, uh, enthusiastic, ready to learn. I wanted to learn just uh, all that I could from some of these guys. And, and the uh, superintendents that, that we worked with, they were a tough crowd. You know, I mean, these guys were real rough around the edges, man. And, uh, and most of the guys, especially the younger guys, they were scared of them. You know, I mean, because they're just intimidated by them. And uh, what was funny is, is I was, I think I was just too dumb to be intimidated. You know, and, and so... What would end up happening is, I, like I said, I wanted to learn, right? So um, the superintendents, they had real, real tight budgets, right? Everything, you know, the estimators would give them, okay, you got a certain amount of man hours for this, certain amount of man hours for this, and, and you couldn't go past that, right? And so it had to be on budget. And, um, and because I was so anxious to learn, they would tell me, hey, listen, man, I'll show you, you know, because I was a ditch digger, man. You know, I was, you know, I was a laborer and when I first got hired on. And uh, when I first got... Um, you know, when I first got hired, like I said, I was I was in the ditches. And so as the superintendents got to know me and they knew that I wanted to learn, they were like, hey, listen, I can't pay to teach you. But if you want to hang out after work, um, I have to do some of the surveying or layout or whatever. Um, stick around. And, and if if you want to learn how to do it, I'll show you how to do it. But I can't pay you for it. You know, I'd be like, no problem, man. I'd hang out a couple more hours with the guy and and uh, and. By, by doing that, I learned how to drive the heavy equipment. I learned how to do the surveying. I knew how to do all the layout. I knew how, and, and it was so funny because all the rest of the guys went home, you know. And, um, 
the next, you know, as, as time went on, I developed a good rapport with these guys. And it was so funny because, you know, the superintendent would come walking around and, and you know, he would start barking out orders. And uh, the, the guys that were intimidated by him, man, they were just like, you know, um, shaking in their boots, man. And I'd be like, do it yourself, man. You know, <laughs> and, and, and they'd look at me like, man, are you crazy? You know, and, and, but it was because this guy knew that I was just joking around. He knew um, we had a closer relationship than anybody else did, you know. And uh, that's what made me think of this, is that David is right here. He's talking to God, and he's asking God, who's going to lead us in the battle? Who's going to give us these victories now, right? Because we've already suffered a big loss, and, and you promised it, but now who's going to do it? Are you going to do it, God? You know, you cast us off. And he says, you know, and you, O oh God, who did not go out with our, with our armies, he's basically saying, you know, evidently you weren't with us before. Are you going to be with us now, you know? It says, give us help from trouble. And I think this is the key right here. He says, for the help of man is useless. See, because up to this point, David had been, like I said, having a lot of success, man. Things were going pretty, pretty good for him. And I think possibly he was probably getting a little self-confident, you know, in the number of his armies and how strong they were in their reputation um, you know, in the battles that they've already won, you know. And what I think here is, you know, because we know that anything that happens to us, right, has to pass through the throne room of God, right? God God has to sign off on it. And now that's huge, man, and I cannot even understand how some of that works, but it's a truth. Nothing is a surprise to God, right, when things come our way. So you know what? There's purpose in everything. In everything, there's a purpose. And we may not know it. We may not understand it. Um, sometimes God will give us a glimpse into it. And thank God for that. That's like a huge gift when we understand why something maybe bad happened. And we learn that lesson. And, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. But, you know, there, there's also going to be times where we have to say, you know what, God? I have to trust you that there's purpose in this. I don't know why, you know. But evidently, you're allowing it. So, so be it, right? And I think in reading into this right here is God allowed that defeat from that southern border after all of these victories, man, that David had been experiencing. I think to humble him. Because now David, he comes to that conclusion where he says, the help of man is useless, man. All the armies in the world, man, are useless unless, it says in verse 12, God is on our side. Through God we will do valiantly. For it is He who shall tread down our enemies. You know, all glory goes to God. You know, and when we come up against some of these, these battles that look too big for us, and we have to trust in God and say, God, we lay it at your feet. It's all yours, man. I can't do anything with it, man. These things are out of my control. You know, we can trust that. You know what? God is on the throne. He knows what he's doing. And in the end, we can't take any credit for it anyways. You know, when it all works out, man, when we are on the other side of that battle and there was that victory, however long it takes, you know what? God gets all the glory. 
So that was chapter 60. We're going to jump over to 61. It says, To the chief musicians on a stringed instrument in the Psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, I was listening to uh, John Corson giving the, uh, a commentary on it, and uh, <laughs> I like the way he put it. He says, you know what, David was no sissy, you know, um, but yet he cried. You know, he cried to God over and over again. In, uh, in Psalms, um, where is it? I wrote it down. One of the one of the psalms it says that uh, oh Psalms uh, fifty six eight it says that 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 God saves our tears in a bottle, you know, I mean, to cry is it, there's no shame in it, man. There's no shame in it, um, you know. That the, one of the reasons why I don't like coming up here. One of the one of the biggest reasons is man, I cry, you know. I mean, we tease Manny about it sometimes, man. But I, you know what? I tell you what, man. I, I know that I'm a, I'm, the, I'm a big crybaby, man. When it comes to trying to talk about the love of God, man, because it, it just chokes you up, man. You can't swallow, man. Your eyes start to well up, and 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 you know what, man? It really isn't a show of weakness. You know what? It, it it's really showing. I think, you know what? That that God really is in our hearts, you know. And and you know what? It, it's a, a crying out to God that I think that. He appreciates, you know. Um, you know, one of the examples that, that uh, John Corson was talking about, and it's so true, he says, you know, crying out just serves so many purposes, but one of the biggest purposes it serves, he said, is it gets God's attention. And he, you know, he uh, equated it to a baby, you know, and I've seen it here over and over again. You know what, man, I, I tell you what, we can have, uh, you know, worship going on and a lot of music going on and a lot of talking and a lot of noise in here. And somebody opens that door, man, and just the smallest little cry that peeks out of that, man, you'll see that mom, boom, pop up. And she knows it's her kid, you know, and she says, man, that, that's mine, you know, and she goes in there and takes care of it, you know. And, and it's so funny, man, because a, a mother, you know, especially can just identify the cry of their child. You know, and I think God can identify the cry of his child. You know, when we cry, you know, when we are just releasing that to God, it gets his attention. And there's nothing wrong with that. That that point about sorrow, I wanted to share something that, that Rick shared with me the other day, man, and it was, it was just so good. It's out of Spurgeon's devotional, and it was from the 12th. So if some of you guys read it, you might remember it. And it was just so, so cool. Um, and what it's talking about, it's talking about just that, that, uh, that suffering or that mourning or that crying that we have when we, when we cry out to God. And uh, it's just so cool. Let me read it to you. And if you guys know Spurgeon, you know he, uh, how he speaks. And so if I kind of mess it up a little bit, <laughs> bear with me. But uh, it's a little harder to read, but uh, very, very powerful. It says, consider this blessed proportion. The ruler of providence bears a pair of scales. On one side, he puts his people's trials. On the other, he puts their consolation. When the scale of trial is near, nearly empty, you will always find the scale of consolation in nearly the same condition. Likewise, when the scale of trials is full, 
you will find the scale of consolation just as heavy. When the black clouds gather most, the light is the more brightly revealed to us. When the night lowers and the tempest is coming on, the heavenly captain is always closest to his crew. It is a blessed thing that when we are most cast down, we are most lifted up by the consolation of the Spirit. Trials make more room for consolation. Great hearts can be made only by great troubles. The spade of trouble digs the reservoir of comfort deeper and makes more room for consolation. God comes into our hearts and finds them full. He, bring, he begins to break our comforts and to make our hearts empty so that there is more room for grace. The humbler a man lies, the more true comfort he will always have because he will be more fit to receive it. Another reason we are often happiest in our troubles is that then we have the closest dealings with God. When the barn is full, man can live without God. When the purse is bursting with gold, we try to do without as much prayer. But take our resources away, and we need God. Cleanse the idols out of the house, and then we are compelled to honor Jehovah. Out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord. Psalms 130. There is no cry as good as the one that comes from the bottom of the mountains. No prayer half as hearty as one that comes from the depths of the soul. Hence, deep trials and affliction bring us to God. And we are happier, for nearness to God is happiness. Come, troubled believer, do not fret over your heavy troubles, for they are the heralds of weighty mercies. Man, that is just so awesome, man. You know, you know because I, I love the picture that it gives, that he says, you know what, God is saying, you may have trials, man. There's going to be some rough things that you're going to go through. Man, but don't fear, because... On the other side of that trial, man, there's going to be just tremendous mercies, man. And you're going to draw closer to God. And at the end of the day, man, that totally outweighs any troubles that you're going to go through. And, man, I mean, that, that really, really jumped out at me, man. When Rick called me and, was, and uh, he was reading that to me, man, I was just like, wow, man. And he said, I'm going to use that in my study. I said, no, let me use it now. <laughs> you know, but it was, it was just so, so cool. Verse... Uh, where are we? Verse 3. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower for the enemy. I will come abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me to the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years are as many generations. He will abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. In um, 
verses uh, 3 through 7, he says, that I will abide in your tabernacle forever. And I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Jumping down to verse 7, he says, He shall abide before God forever. And one of the things that jumped out at me was that as we go through those troubles, like David is talking about, that, you know, we have to have, of course, one eye in our situation, you know, but really our focus needs to be on eternity. You know, it needs to be, our focus needs to be on on heaven, right? Because over, over and over again there, twice he says, forever, forever, forever. You know, and he's saying, you know what, I love the way, you know, Manny always puts it, he even said it today, that heaven is not, you know, a destination, not only a destination, I guess, but it's also a motivation, you know. And you know what, our troubles... You know what? As big as they are, they're temporary. You know, they're temporary. You know, there's a phrase in the Bible. It says, it's over and over again in the Bible. It says, and this you, this too shall pass. You know? And that's an awesome little, you know, uh, um, thing to remember. You know? That this too shall pass. You know, and whatever it is that we're going through, whether it's, it's it's taking, you know, days, weeks, months, years, it's going to pass, you know. And there's going to be a day, you know, that we are in heaven, that we're with the Lord face to face, man. And we're just in his presence, man. And all of these things, man, that just seem so insurmountable, you know, man, they're going to fade away. You know, we'll just have no recollection of a man, you know. We're going to be in his presence. So really, at the end of the day, we just need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Verse 8, he says, I will sing praises to your name forever, that I may, that I may daily perform my vows. And you know what? That very last sentence there, that I may daily perform my vows. I thought about that and I thought, you know what? We almost have to have that heavenly perspective, you know, of, man, we're only passing through, you know, in order to do those things that are in front of us every day, right? I mean, there's, there's some things that we're having to die to ourselves every day, right? We're having to deal with something every day. We're having to make decisions um, that, you know what, we may be afraid to make every day. You know, and how can we do those things? Well, the only way we can do that is that if our eyes are on Jesus and man, our focus, you know, is on the horizon, man. You know what? This this too shall pass, man. And, you know, I just wanted to, to leave you guys with that. Um, I tell you what, I was I was really blessed by it. I was I was, you know kind of anxious about it because you know as i was trying to prepare for it because you know it kind of came up all of a sudden that manny said you know hey you want to do this sunday night and i said all right you know um uh you know i was reading i was sharing with with elzar i said man you know what i'm reading i'm reading it man i get nothing man <laughs> you know? and 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 uh 
And, you know, God is so good and he's so faithful, man, that, you know, I don't know how I came across. And, and you know, I hope God is just merciful with that. But, but I tell you what, I received a lot out of it, man. I mean, it just seems as though right, you know, at the last minute as I was writing it and, and preparing it, man, and writing it down, my thoughts and this and that, that uh, just these truths, man, just started coming out and, and, and meaning a lot to me, you know, and, uh, and helping me. Um, just come to that realization that, you know what, um, first of all, like David there, you know, don't be overconfident, you know, when things are going too smooth. And when that trial does come, there's purpose behind it and trust God in it. And at the end of the day, man, in order to do all that God wants us to do, you know what, our eyes have to be on the Lord, you know. So I hope that was an encouraging word to you. And uh, next week, I think we got 62 and 63. So uh, keep that in prayer, and uh, let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, tonight, and I, I pray, dearly Father, Lord, that, um, that your word, dearly Father, Lord, you, you do promise, Lord, that it doesn't return void. And so, I, Lord, I just pray that, uh, that there was something there, Lord, that everyone may take home, Lord, and, and uh, just meditate on, Lord, dwell on, and, and, uh, and, Lord, that it would be an encouragement to them, dearly Father, Lord, no matter what they may be going through, no matter what trial it is, Lord, that seems uh, just too big, Heavenly Father, there's nothing too big for you, Heavenly Father. There's nothing that is insurmountable in your eyes, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray that you would comfort every person here, Lord, that you would um, just minister to their hearts, Lord, that they would find that joy, Lord, that comes from only you. And, uh, Lord, that we would just, uh, our eyes not be, off of you, Lord. Our eyes just be focused on you, not on our on our problems, Lord. And and to know, Heavenly Father, that you are on the throne and that the promises that you have made to us, Lord, ones of good, Lord, not evil, Lord, of a future and a hope. Lord, that those are promises, Lord, that we can just take to the bank, Lord. And that, Lord, we know that come from you, Lord. And Lord, I just lift up every loved one, dearly Father, Lord, of uh, everyone here, Lord, that perhaps there's somebody, Lord, that are on our hearts, Lord, that that we're praying for, dearly Father, Lord, that we're trusting that that you, Lord, are are able, dearly Father, Lord, to to just reach, dearly Father, to um, grab a hold of their hearts, dearly Father, Lord. Those are the things, Lord, that that matter, Lord, and. And, Lord, I just pray, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, that our trust, Lord, would be in you, dear Heavenly Father. You are able, dear Heavenly Father. Your arm is not too short. And, Lord, that you would just shower them with your love. Draw them by your love, dear Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.